Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. If you head over to iTunes and type in Jazz Session in the search box, you'll find me pretty quickly, and you can take a minute and subscribe, and that means you'll always have the latest show right there on your computer. Remember, you don't need an MP3 player. All you need is a computer with some speakers to listen to the Jazz Session anytime. You can also listen for free at thejazzsession.com. You'll find an archive of all the episodes of the show, along with written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. I'm proud to announce a couple of things. One is we've got a new cause of the month, although they never last for just a month. Uh, The causes always seem to go on quite a lot longer. But uh, the new cause now is Musicians Village, which is a, a wonderful project Uh, dreamed up by Branford Marsalis and Harry Connick Jr., and uh, actualized by Habitat for Humanity in New Orleans. And uh, it's really a a realized residential area for uh, musicians in New Orleans. And coming up on the show sometime in the next couple of months, I'm going to be doing a feature on Musicians Village, uh, featuring interviews with folks who live there. And uh, I'm very excited about it, and I hope that you'll uh, click on the Musicians Village link at thejazzsession.com and give them some money, because I'm sure they could use it, and it's a fantastic cause. I'm also excited to announce that we're going to be doing more giveaways in the Jazz Session. Back when I was on the radio, I used to give stuff away all the time, and uh, it was always one of the most fun parts of the show, is you know, giving people a chance to call in, and if you're caller number seven or whatever, you can win a copy of the, of the new record. So you can't be calling number seven on this show because it's not live, but uh, we are going to do giveaways. And this week we're giving away uh, Joel Harrison's new record, The Wheel. And trust me, you're going to want this record. It's really fantastic. And here's how you win it. It's very simple. Just send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com. That's contest at thejazzsession.com. And put Joel in the subject line. And then if uh, you're the first person to email me, you win a copy of the record. So that's it. This week's guest is Joel Harrison. The new album, as I just mentioned, is called The Wheel. And from it, this is the opening track called American Farewell.
My guest is composer and guitarist Joel Harrison. He's got a new album on Innova Records called The Wheel, which is a fascinating blend of the string quartet and jazz quintet worlds. And Joel is here to talk to us about it. Joel, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. So uh, this is a really interesting concept for a record, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about it. It, it I read in the liner notes and some of the other press material that the idea is really to find a, a place in the center of those two worlds rather than adding one to the other. Is that accurate? Well, exactly. Um, I think that typically when composers write music that involves strings from a jazz perspective, uh, they tend to write jazz music and then add the strings into that format uh, rather than considering each group or each player equal entities. And so I tried to um, approach this as a, as a composition that was more rooted in the sound of the strings than in the jazz group, um, which allowed me, I think, to just open up uh, into ideas that uh, hopefully transcend um, patterns that, that I think we as jazz composers tend to fall into. And I was just really interested in, in raising the bar for myself and trying to really make a union of those two worlds and, and not have it be a pastiche. And I wonder, was there a learning curve for you in writing for the strings? I mean, in the same way that people say it's it's only recently that string players, classically trained musicians, have been able to, to improvise. Did the same kind of hold true in the other direction for you? Well, I've, I've written some for strings before this, but I, I would say that there was a certain amount of um, well, a little bit of trial and error, but, but I guess I sort of already knew what I was doing in regards to the strings and had certain sounds in my head and, you know, had, had just worked with strings enough before to, to have a pretty clear idea of what they could do. But, you know, I was, I was just pleased as could be that my ideas were brought to fruition in such a powerful way by the players um, because I would say that I was, um, you know, their, their way of playing the material was a thrill. It, it exceeded my expectations. Can you talk about, uh, maybe start with the strings and talk about who plays on the record and how you found these particular players? Sure. Well, Todd Reynolds, I think, is pretty well known as one of the people who, um, you know, for a long time has been both an improviser and a, uh, a musician who plays a lot of new classical music. Um, I approached him with the idea, and and kind of between the two of us, we we uh, batted around some ideas, and I had known about Wendy Sutter and uh, the cellist, and Todd knew her quite well, and when I brought her name up, he was he was um, uh, in agreement that that was a great choice. And then he recommended to me Caleb Burhans, who's a, a wonderful violist. Actually, I think 
he may be well known in Rochester because he was at the Eastman School, uh, I think, for for four years, not that long ago. And uh, also um, <clears throat> a person I've worked together a lot with and who's on, gosh, three or four of my records now, Chris Howes, was the other violinist. So they're all powerful players who, who transcend style. Um, Wendy is, I would say, the one person who's not a, you know, truly based in, in an improvisational world. Um, she th- she does some improvising in her in her life and you know did so with bang on a can but you know it didn't matter at all because um, you know not every person in the string quartet act- actually ends up doing solos per se although there is some group improvising so you know as with any composition I I wrote for the players and, and what they were able to do and and then you know left it in their capable hands. So did you already know who was going to be on the record as you were writing the music? Definitely, yes. Yes, because I, I was using the group that I... Well, I would say the only exception would be the trumpet player because I, I hadn't worked with too many trumpet players in a context like this. But uh, I had, let's put it this way, pretty strong ideas, and, and most of the people who I thought would do it ended up doing it. But um, that being said, the composition um, you know, took quite a while. So, you know, there was a long gestation period and a lot of trial and error and a lot of music that got thrown away. And um, so it, it, it was all in all about three years. And at least some of this music was begun in a musician or an artist colony. Is that right? Yes. <clears throat> two, two different colonies for supported me, I guess you'd say, with with uh, a beautiful space to try to let my thoughts and feelings range into this material, the McDowell Colony in New Hampshire and the Virginia Center for Creative Arts uh, south of Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, 
those places are a tremendous blessing. Can you talk a little bit more about what they're like? I've never actually been any place like that and have a hard time imagining what you do during the day when you're there. Well, that's the beauty of it is all you do is create. Uh, they feed you. They house you. There's no fee attached, um, although Virginia Center for Creative Arts uh, is is not that well endowed financially, so they they are happy to accept donations uh, from the artists if they can make them. But the the, the place place like that is is there for you to leave the cares of the world behind, and you wake up in the morning and you just do what you do, whether you're a painter or a composer or a writer, and you spend all day at it and maybe even into the night. Uh, and the, the beauty of it is that your ideas have a chance to become, um, well, let's put it this way, there's an intimacy to the experience that you develop with your own muse so that uh rather than your mind shooting off in a hundred different directions in regards to things you have to do in a given day, you, you eat, sleep, <laughs> your musical ideas, and, and you, you bounce those ideas off of the other artists there, and, and you get into a space where it, it feeds on itself, and, and uh, you can get a lot done in a short period of time. Joel, did you interact with other artists while you were at these colonies, and did that impact the music? No, it didn't really impact the music. You're always interacting with people, but you know, for me, the the genesis of this this piece came from a longstanding interest in in the meeting of those two worlds of classical and jazz, which you know are kind of labels that. That outlive their usefulness with a piece like this, because I, I, I don't, I, I think if if you're really successful, it kind of bridges the worlds in a way where you feel funny labeling it. But I, ever since I was a teenager, I, I was very interested in Gunther Schiller and Rand Blake from the New England Conservatory, and and the way that they were uh, enlivening the the classical tradition with ideas that focused on improvisation and, and also enlivening the jazz tradition with, um, I would say, a broader uh, vision for you know, more notation, more different color, and, and, and um, you know, a lot of different instrumentation. And so that's always been with me, and, and I... I've written some things in the past that that gave voice to to those interests, but it was only I think with this piece that I I sort of I guess truly um, inhabited that vision for myself, and it was a very conscious process in, in regards to me setting out to write a, a grant or two to. Uh, get some money to do the piece, and really to challenge myself to break new ground in my own life. And so it's a very important CD uh, to me for that reason, because um, I think it's not only if I 
might incredibly immodestly say <laughs> one of the more successful um, you know unions of of some of those worlds but but more importantly for me, it represents um, you know by far the best thing i've ever done first put this record on it it kind of reminded me of sitting in a performance hall and listening to a, a joint performance by charles ives and charles mingus at the same time and as i was uh as i was thinking more about that i actually thought that that kind of stumbles on uh something else that seems to be involved with this record which is it seems to have um at least as much as a, a album without words can have it seems to have some some political content or maybe philosophical content um, that's suggested by the titles and sounds like it's suggested by the musical material as well. Is this a, a political record or an, an album that comes from a particular philosophy or ideology on your part? No, I wouldn't say so. I w- it's, um, it was definitely a, you know, with with the title, The Wheel, there was certainly a, a lot of implications um, that I was hesitant to be very explicit about in the liner notes, and I guess I'm just as hesitant to to do so here, just because I feel like the the, the title, the wheel, means so many things, and I think a lot of them really can be applied to the piece, depending on on who's looking at it and how you're looking at it and, you know, whether it be the concept of the, the wheel of time, the cycle of life and death, um, the concept of me reinventing the wheel for myself <laughs> with a, a, you know, a piece that's a breakthrough for me. And so a lot of different, um, I would say, very broad um view of, of the, you know, the meaning and the content of the, the piece uh, in that way. You know, there's underlying themes that I think are reflected in the title. It's a, to me, it's a very American piece, and, and there's a, certainly a way in which um, some of the elegiac 
and uh, and also a more feisty aspects um, represent the type of concerns that Mingus and Ives are wonderful choices. What a fantastic compliment that is. I mean, if somebody told me they they brought Ives and Mingus together, I'd run out and buy that record. So I I I think it's a it's a, a great thought. Um, you know, their their way of approaching American music it is is very very much a part of this piece, and so um, some of the laments that are reflected in the titles of the movements and 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 maybe the humor as well and and the incorporation of ideas from West Africa etc um, imply a lot of things and uh, I think it's it's also important for me to note that the the last part of it is a um, is an elegy for a, a friend who died and and uh, it's it's my 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 attempt, as humble as it was, is, was to really have a big vision for the piece and have it really grapple with big questions. And and I I could probably drone on and on about the meanings for me, but I much prefer people just sit down and read the titles and listen to the music and and just kind of think about it for themselves. Yeah, and I I think that's fair enough. But I also think that you know in this. In this day and age, whatever that phrase means, but in this day and age, and I know what I mean when I say it, when you have a, a piece with titles like American Farewell, and we have been the victims of a broken promise, which is uh, you know very famous, part of a very famous uh, piece of writing by Martin Luther King, right. the, those things are in some ways less implicit than... <laughs> that might be the composer's intent, I think. I mean, I think that, you know, we've been the victims of a broken promise, knowing where it comes from and knowing where we are at this moment. Um, titles like that, I think, are suggestive, to me at least, in ways that it's difficult to avoid, mm-hmm. you know, in the political climate and the, the kind of social climate where you where this album came out. Yeah, well, I certainly am not was not immune to any of those thoughts when I was making the music, but just if you take that one movement, which is, you know, one of my favorite parts of the piece we've been the victims of a broken promise it's the title um right comes from the letter letter from a birmingham jail martin luther king's essay and i think that while i was writing the piece and to some degree still there's been a feeling that that america's promise is on the wane um, that that there's something desperately that missing from from uh, our our leaders and and you know I don't anybody who reads reads your column or hears this show is likely to to agree with me that uh, it's 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 been a difficult time to be American um, under the Bush years so that's certainly there but at the same time, it's a very personal elegiac movement for me because, um, as I mentioned, a friend of my father's died, uh, or my, you know, his oldest friend, while I was writing it. And, and there's something very, very personally, how do I say this, a, sort of a sense of personal tragedy that was involved in it also. Um, and I think that um, the same is true of the first movement, American Farewell, where in a sense, um, when I listen to that movement, it, it could be as simple as as two friends parting, um, 
or uh, you know the, the end of America as a uh, as the leading power in the world. Um, but you know, you say that and it sounds awfully. I don't know. It comes out sounding kind of pompous. Um, what happens when I'm writing the music has really not that much to do with those thoughts. It's sort of afterwards when I see what my thoughts and feelings were in the music that I go, you know, that sounds like an American farewell. And then I name the piece. I don't name it and then write it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm all for, I have no problem with conceptual music and I've written much more thoroughly conceptual music, but this has a harder time being pinned down by those kinds of, of more direct thoughts on my part. There's just, just so so many different thoughts and feelings and moods and concepts and and so much anger and delight and and joy and sadness is is in in this piece. We uh, we talked earlier about the string players uh, who are on the record. Can you tell us about the folks who form the jazz quintet? Well, I think most of them are probably pretty well known at this point to um, uh, folks. Uh, David Benny is a saxophonist, and he's just been on five my past four or five records. I'm not sure, and um, you know, tremendous improviser and and uh you know it was hard for him to play some of the written stuff and but he loved the challenge um and that ralph alessi is just you know a monstrous trumpet player and really can seemingly do anything lindsey horner wonderful bass player you know just back there kind of supporting all that's going on in a really strong way and dan weiss who i've played with for years is sort of like the conductor, you know, because there's so many twists and turns and changes in the darn piece that it really required a strong drummer to keep us on track. And, you know, my hat's really off to him for for uh, keeping us honest because it was really hard uh, at first to make the music work.
this uh, album ends with a piece called In Memoriam, Dana Brayton. Will you talk about who Dana Brayton was and, and why you were inspired to write this piece? Yeah, I'd really be happy to. He, he went to college with me, Pomona College, my first two years of college where we met, and I was just learning to play jazz, and, and I have a very vivid memory of of us getting together, meeting each other, and, and deciding to play music. And he had been to Berkeley for two years, and he, he, he was already a pretty good jazz player. And he, he forced me to, to, to uh, play through the real book with him um, and, and just kept encouraging me uh, to play tunes that were hard for me at the time. And it was one of those, those friendships that, that uh, developed into us uh, starting a band together. And we both lived in Boston for a while. And he was always a really interesting composer in the jazz medium and ended up getting his doctorate and going uh, to teach at Boston Conservatory and becoming a, a tremendous uh, composer of classical music. Um, though not very well known, a very distinctive voice, and you know one of my best friends, and very inspiring in that we we would sit around all the time and talk about ways to bring these worlds of notation and classical music together. And we even had a project that he initiated at Boston Conservatory called the Funk Project, where we had students join a you know six seven piece band with three horns and composers would write music that was very, very challenging notationally, but also involved uh, uh, improvisation and also American vernacular, funk music, R&B, various different things. And uh, it was such a challenge and so much fun, and I learned so much writing for those ensembles. Unfortunately, none of that has ever been released. But... uh, so he was probably my closest ally in this this uh, uh, goal and this this struggle to, to discover just new ways to, to combine all the things we love, um, you know, be it Charles Ives, Stravinsky, Mingus Ellington, uh, you know, Henry Threadgill, whatever it is. And uh, he died a, a couple of years ago suddenly from. Uh, heart attack he died instantly so it, it just seemed fitting to to end the the piece with a tribute to the guy who in, in so many ways made its conception possible i know that back in june you had a, a live performances uh, of this record and i wonder what uh, what was the the reaction to uh, the live performances of this music well you mean from the 13 people that were in the audience. <laughs> I mean, it's been so goddamn frustrating, and that's that's where I really just get, I don't know, I get angry and sad at the same time, because I've had now three performances of the piece, and, and you, if anybody who hears the piece is going to go, oh my God, playing this live, what a, you know, what a job. I, these, these, these martyrs who, who are <laughs> performing the music for not much money, have done it three times. Not the same people each time, but pretty close to it. And uh, I, you know, there haven't been many more than 20 people in the audience uh, any any of the three times. We did it at Roulette, and there were a few more. Um, the, the response is tremendous. People are just can't believe it, you know. Uh, they're, 
they're uh, just, they go, I couldn't, I can't believe you did that. How long did that take you? You know, <laughs> that type of thing. Because uh, I'm, I'm sure most of them are used to hearing, you know, relatively more straightforward music of mine. And uh, the, the, par- the part that's difficult is that, that, that I, I can't see how the piece has a future with nine players involved. And I'm trying, of course, to get it programmed at colleges and performing arts center. But, you know, there's, there's just, it's hard to advocate for this music. There are not many places you can go to do it, and it's expensive to do. And, and um, you know, uh, it's just the way, they, the way this world is. I'm certainly not the only one facing this problem. Is that because there's just there's not enough musical literacy among the general population? Is that is that why people don't come to hear music like this? Well, I think it's a very complicated question. I mean, first of all, the the the, the places that will program a piece that crosses this many borders are few. The ones that do are incredibly interesting places. Um, you know, let's take the Walker Center in Minneapolis or or BAM or places like that, uh, you know, to get into these places, I mean, think of the waiting line. Um, you're, you're competing with all the other composers out there who can't get their music heard. Um, and because it's a large ensemble, and I think that's the real point, it, it's, it's expensive to do. I mean, uh, if you're going to pay people well, you, I just can't go out and perform the music and, and lose $1,000 every month. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, and the point is, you need a really good haul, also. And and there are people out there who I know would be very interested in hearing this music. And you know, I, I wouldn't say that about everything I've written. I I do think the piece has some sort of future, but I'm just still trying to grapple with how to how to get those performances. And God, it's just you know the the amount of time that one must devote to that aspect of things is sometimes overwhelming. Um, And I have so many different projects that I end up kind of fighting for one and then kind of getting tired and (laughs) moving to another. And and so it's kind of hard to keep all the, all the, the, all all the uh, projects that I have uh, working because I just have eclectic taste and, and it's hard to be your own manager and booking agent and all that. Although in Europe, you know, I think there are people who've expressed interest in the piece, but, you know, because it did actually come out originally on a European label, a German label, Intuition. Um, but even over there, it's, whew, God, it's tough. Well, it's certainly uh, music that rewards repeated listening, and uh, I encourage everyone to check out this album. It's called The Wheel, and it's by my guest, Joel Harrison. Joel, as always, it's been a, a real pleasure to talk with you, and I hope you'll come back again. Well, thank you very much, Jason.
That's guitarist and composer Joel Harrison from his new album, The Wheel. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. Don't forget, you can win a copy of The Wheel very simply. Just send an email to contest at thejazzsession.com. That's contest at thejazzsession.com and put Joel in the subject line. First person to email me wins the record. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. You can go there and subscribe, and that means you're always going to be up to date with the latest show. But if you don't do that, that's fine, too. You can also go to thejazzsession.com, where you'll find episodes of the show, plus written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of cool jazz links. You'll also find our cause of the month, and this month and for the foreseeable future, it's Musicians Village in New Orleans, which is a word that's very difficult to say. I've never been able to say the word musicians particularly well uh, at any kind of speed, which is unfortunate given that, you know, I I do a show about musicians. I'll work on that. Anyway, uh, for more interviews and reviews, you can always visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website, where you'll find a bunch of my writing and writing from many other people who are smarter than me and can probably say the word musician. You can contact me via email anytime at jason at thejazzsession.com. We also have a mailing list here at the show. I don't know who we is, the royal we. Uh, The mailing list is available at thejazzsession.com. And it's pretty simple. You join the mailing list and you get updates on uh, who's on the show, who's coming up. Every time a show comes out, you'll know that kind of thing. It's, It's pretty handy. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They are online at respectsextet.com, and Dave Rabel designed the show's logo. Thanks so much for being here. It's just, it's so much fun to be back, and uh, I, I really, really missed the show when I was transferred to Albany and was kind of off uh, off the air or whatever this is for a while, and it's just absolutely a thrill to uh, to be back and to be interacting with listeners again and, and talking to all these wonderful musicians. So uh, thank you for being here. Support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next time, won't you, for another conversation about jazz right here on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.